said that when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. And what I meant by that very carefully is this is a time of uncertainty, correct, in our culture and the nation. And you have to be very, very careful because you, you don't want to follow all the whims and, and sudden movements and shiftings of the culture. I want some stability in my life. I want to do the thing that I know that's trusted, tried, and true. Hello? Right? I want to make sure that if I'm moving in any direction, I'm moving in a direction that God has previously shown me that he is leading me in this direction so I can go there confidently. So when I said when you don't know what to do, do what you know to do, for me personally, I can say this. There, I may still be searching for a little bit more of a defining moment for me personally as it relates to what role or part I should play with the changing culture in the United States around me. But what I do know to do is this. I know to acknowledge His call on my life. I know to acknowledge His giftings, the giftings of God that are without repentance. God's never changed His mind, having called me personally into the ministry. And I want those giftings and that calling to be used for the glory of God. For the glory of God and the good of the body. If these callings and giftings have been sharpened both in prayer and in usage, and it can edify the body of Christ, then that's what I want to be about. I want to see God's people to obtain their maximum strength in the culture in which we live, being all that you have been called to be. I am personally, I don't speak for everyone that's in the five-fold ministry, I'm a pastor slash shepherd with the gift of teaching and a prophetic unction or a prophetic insight. Not a prophet, but prophetic unction. And my desire today is to stir up the gift of God that I might serve the body. Notice Paul's words in Ephesians chapter number 3. He said that he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he gloried in that moment. It was a moment when he celebrated that he had the glorious opportunity to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I can join with that man today and say what a privilege it is for me to preach among the Gentiles. You understand what Gentiles is according to the biblical usage. It's simply any nation and ethnicity that was distinct from the Jewish people. And Paul here says that he said, I have this great privilege and glorious opportunity to share among the other nations of the world the glorious riches of Christ, a mystery that had been hidden from the foundation of the world. And he now, by direct divine revelation, is expounding and enlightening these men and women that previously had been in hidden darkness. They had no knowledge. Perhaps they didn't even have the knowledge of the one true God, and they definitely didn't know about their potential for communion with him. One of the greatest, I want to say this very carefully, if not the greatest revelation that you can receive of the Lord is the revelation of our, your equality in Christ. Your equality in Christ. What do I mean by that? Let's go to another passage of Scripture. It's in Galatians chapter number 3. In Galatians 3, we'll read just four verses of Scripture there. But I want you to see this as the apostle makes his appeal. He's sharing Throughout, if you take the time to study the Apostle Paul's teaching, you'll see that this is the heart of his writing. This is the revelation. This is the revelation that was given to him to one degree that created a distinction between him and even the other apostles. He was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Almost all of his epistles are written to Gentile churches. Those Gentile churches may have had in the, in the Gentile church certainly those that were Jews and those that were proselytes, but many of them were, again, their ethnicity was that not of direct lineage of the natural lineage of Abraham. But Paul here in this book 
And I don't want to say this book above all others because it's in Romans, it's in Galatians, it's in Ephesians. But verse 26, Paul says, For ye, again plural, are all the children of God. Now, if you want a secular spin on that, people say that all the time. You're all the children of God. Well, yes, we're all made in the likeness of God, and that therefore makes us the children of God in one aspect. But it doesn't mean that you're in fellowship with the Father. Doesn't mean that you're his offspring here today. In essence, in this passage, he says, let me take you deeper, it's by faith in Christ Jesus. You want to know who the children of God are? Those that have authentic, genuine faith in Christ Jesus, correct? As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is, here he speaks on the equality, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, when Paul is writing this, you have to understand this is resounding in the hearts and the minds of the listener that day. It's being read in either a synagogue or an assembly of believers for the very first time. And there, it is a, there's a multiple ethnicities that are most likely gathered in that room where it's being read. And Paul, you can see how, um, how, what, what an amazing revelation this is when he says, you're neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. It's got anything to do about whether you're free or economically higher or than someone else. He said there's neither male nor female. We all have, in this sense, and I don't want to go in that argument that's being made in the culture today. I think we know the proper connotation. Here he says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, before we read the last verse there, it does not mean that we don't have distinct offices, callings, roles, giftings, or genders. But rather, we have equality in value to God, in love, and in access to God's presence. And by faith, you and I can equally receive of God's covenant promises. I love that right there. So verse number 29 there, he, con he concludes, If you be Christ, if you are in Christ Jesus, notice this, he turned this back to the original argument, because we're going to go there in a few moments, then are ye Abraham's seed. Now that's a little bit of a shift in our mind. We use the term very freely, I'm a child of God. But here now Paul summarizes by saying those of you that are children of God in actuality, you are children of Abraham. You are the offspring in essence of, the, of Abraham and you are heirs according to the promise. I want you to hear that. If you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed. I made another statement last week when I said I, wanted to, I didn't mean to burst the bubble of those of you here that I said America is not in divine covenant with God. What I meant by that clarity is that there are those that in our founder, many of our founders, not all, that did believe in a divine calling for the nation of America, a divine mission to be a light for liberty to the nations of the world. But there's a distinct difference between a calling here or a mission and covenant. Covenant's a word that many of you are not familiar with. I looked at you then and I said, America as a whole is not in covenant with God. But I looked at you from this pulpit with the clearest of conviction and I said, but you are in covenant with God. And from that I want to build upon today, I'm not for sure that everybody grasps the magnitude of such a statement. For you to have divine revelation that you, seated right here, raised in the hill country, as we say often in north central Arkansas, you may have come from a poor background, maybe even limited educationally, but the reality is if you are in Christ Jesus, you are in covenant with God. Man, I'm preaching myself happy today already. 
And so what I said when I, on the previous statements, I said, when I don't know what to do, I do what I know to do. One of the greatest joys that I have as a pastor is to preach to men and women and bring them, if I can, to the revelation that they're in covenant with God and that they are the offspring of God and that, yes, you are the seed of Abraham. And you are heirs to the covenant promises of God. Let me attempt to explain to you what I mean. It's going to be a journey. You've got to be willing to follow with me. There will only be two other passages of Scripture that we're going to read. They've now cooled it off in here. If you're okay with that, if you don't mind, I'd like for you to take the air back off because I've got a chill coming over me right now. And I like it when, I like it when it's a little warmer in here because, see, everybody's a little more loose. And, 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 and they got the warm-up effect going here. And so, let me share with you what I mean by this. Now, get ready, church family. I need you to be locked in for a few moments. I need you to follow with me as I've preached many times in the theater of your mind. I need you to create a mental picture in your mind that can unlock understanding to you. As I take you on a brief journey, it's not brief, I'm not going, I mean, it is brief. It, it, it's going to take us way back in time and bring us to where we are today. But it's going to be very quick, and, but at the same time, it's, I hope you can identify it with it very quickly. See, when God, the creator, how many believe God is the creator of the heavens and the earth? That before the earth was, he was. Yeah. That's why he said, I am who I am, right? I was before, and I'll be there at the very end. And so when God scattered mankind at Babel, very important moment there in the 11th chapter or the 10th chapter of the book of Genesis, at Babel, that mankind was scattered from the face of the earth. And from that moment, clans and tribes eventually became nations. They were then known as what we still call them today, the nations of the earth. And during that time period, God chose to form covenant with one man. And Genesis chapter number 12 is the record of a man named Abram living in what's known as Ur of the Chaldeans. It's part of Mesopotamia. It's a part of the Fertile Crescent. It's way north of Israel. It's along the, the, the Tigris and the Euphrates River. It's a very fertile area. And Abram is dwelling there in a seat of idolatry. But he worships the one true God. Now remember at this time, there is no B-I-B-L-E. There's no Torah. There's no Psalms or there's no First and Second Kings. There's nothing. There's no, they, he, he, all he has is the oral stories of his fathers that have been passed to him generationally. And Abram, in the midst of all those that worship the plurality of gods, Abram still worships the one true God. He had the courage to worship God in the midst of idolatry. God called him, formed a covenant with him. Said, I want you to go where I'm going to tell you to go. Where the soles of your feet trod, that's going to be your inheritance. He promised Abram, who at that time was married but had no child, he promised to make of him a great nation. And God formed covenant with that man. If you want to read it on your own, read in Genesis chapter number 15 and chapter number 17, but particularly 15, when God formed a covenant with Abram. And in animals, multiple animals were slain. 
slain. They were parted according to the custom of that day, representing two different parties. And God himself, as a burning furnace, came and walked in the midst of the slain animals, informing covenant with this man, Abram. And God promised to make of him a great nation. Well, after Abram's death, we're familiar with his immediate offspring, his lineage. We know that God is known biblically as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And we know this to be true according to the scriptures that God sent the sons of Jacob, Jacob and his family, 70 individuals into Egypt. And there in Egypt, God incubated one family, the family of Abraham, Abraham's grandson Jacob and his great-grandsons that have now multiplied into there are 12 grandsons plus plus granddaughters they multiply in Egypt I love the reading of that text of scripture everybody remembers a little bit of familiarity how that God had blessed Joseph and Joseph had brought Jacob and his sons from uh, the land of Canaan because of the famine and God had blessed they're living in the good land of Goshen and they're blessed but the Bible says when the page the last page of Genesis turns over and the first page of Exodus begins it says but another Pharaoh arose which knew not Joseph. And from that day forward, they began to oppress the people of God. And they became taskmasters over them. And the group of men and women that sojourned there in protection under the wing of both Joseph and Pharaoh suddenly became slaves. They're building the monuments of Egypt and there's a heavy weight upon them. Eventually it comes where they're actually trying to kill their children. The Egyptians are fearful that the nation has grown so great and they've targeted their children. And at that time, the people began to cry out for a deliverer, for somebody who would bring the promises of God to them and restore them to their land and the Bible says that God raised up a man by the name of Moses he was called Moses because he was drawn out of the water he became both a prophet and a deliverer to the people of ancient Israel and you know the story I can't I love to preach it I'll tell you if y'all would stay I'd stay all day on this subject and preach about it because God brought them to the base of Mount Sinai he brought them there after many signs and wonders after the blood of the Passover had shielded the people of God from, from the, the death angel that went through Egypt and Israel was thrust out and, and as they were thrust out they spoiled the Egyptians and 400 years of back pay come on went out with them and they were brought after 50 days to the base of Mount Sinai, the very mountain that God had appeared to Moses in many days earlier and there I want you to hear this today, church family. You've heard me preach about this many times. I'm telling you, in our culture today, we do not value greatly enough the significance of that moment at the base of Mount Sinai when two million men, women, boys, and girls saw the glory of an omnipotent, invisible God reveal himself. The God that had been hidden in the heavens. The God who was omnipotent, who's made his abode in heaven and also made his abode in the earth, but had hidden himself behind his creation, suddenly pulled the curtains back and he stepped out and he stepped down and he sat upon a holy mountain. And the mountain couldn't hold the glory. And neither can we. When we really have the glory of God in our lives, we will shake and we will move the way the mountain, granite mountain, began to shake. It began to burn because of the glory of an omnipotent God had set upon it. Lightnings, thunders, and then a voice was heard. 
And this voice spoke something to this, um, this people. How would you? You would have shrunk away in fear as well. And he spoke the authoritative word of God, the word that he would later scribe on a tablet of stone. And the people heard. Can you hear that with me today? The people heard the voice of God. I want to hear that voice as much as he will allow me to, don't you? They heard, and it confirmed to them that their God was the one true God. None like him, none beside him, none before him, and ain't nobody coming after him, glory to God. He is God today, yesterday, and forever, amen? And so God, once again, reaffirms the covenant with the people, the descendants of Abraham, who are now known as the children of Israel. That covenant is ratified by the sprinkling of blood and water. The people are given the law, the teachings, the Torah. We call it the law, the Israelites call it the Torah. I want you to read with me just very quickly, though, in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 9, because this is Moses looking back. I might read it on the screen with you if I can. And this is Moses looking back at the significance of that moment. The Lord is speaking. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, or Moses is, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do so in the land whether you go to possess it. Everybody, just for knowledge's sake, Israel's about to go into the promised land. Forty years of sojourning in the wilderness has come to a close. Moses is saying, reminding them, keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear of all these statutes. And they're going to say, surely this is a great nation. It's a wise and an understanding people. God had given them divine oracle called the Torah that would teach them how to live, how to worship God, how to relate to other people, judgments and laws, how to, how to worship, how to build a tabernacle, a temple, all these things. What nation is there so great, he said, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord God is in all things that we call upon him for? He said, "What out of all the nations of the world, there's no nation like you. There's no nation with accessibility to the presence of the Almighty God. Let's read that last verse there. So great that it has statutes and judgments as righteous as the law which I set before you. In verse number 9, he says, Only take heed to yourself. Keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them to your sons and your sons' sons. And so the children of Israel were recipients of covenant promises. These covenant promises included the favor and the blessing of God. How many know when God wants to bless somebody, he can bless somebody? How many of you know that when you study the history of the people that we call ancient Israel, angels interacted amongst them? Prophets and priests and scribes were raised up to teach and to give understanding of the law and the Torah. The divine light was pointing people to God. Scripture is filled with the recorded stories of men and women of faith and valor, perseverance and courage and love and grace, commitment to the truth, uh, names of people that today, 2,000, 4,000 years later, we're still naming our children today after the likes of Joshua, Barak, Deborah, Gideon and Samson. What about Ruth and Naomi or David and Solomon or Elijah and Elisha? On and on the list can go of men and women that recognize that they were in divine covenant with God. They had a direct calling upon their life. They were men and women of faith. They were men and women of destiny. And they were, they were, they were given a divine destiny to be a light to the Gentiles. 
Men and women whose prayer could unlock heaven's blessing. Men and women whose prayer to, uh, they could see the power of God. They would gain insight into warfare. They would have favor upon the land. It was a land not like the land of Egypt that he had been brought out of. It was a land of hills and valleys that depended upon the rain of heaven. It was a land that God said, my eyes upon that land all the day and all the night. My eyes upon you. He called Israel the apple of his eye. He said, I'll bless you coming in. I'll bless you going out. You'll be blessed in the storehouse, the field, and the basket. You'll be the head and not the tail. The enemy will come in one way and he will flee before you seven ways because I will go before you and I will fight before I will fight for you. Come on, church family. These were covenant promises made to the people of God. God even said to them, he said, when you gather on the army field or the battlefield and you look out, he said, and you look out and he said, and the, the number of your enemies is like the sea, like the sand on the seashore. He said, and your heart almost sinks. I want you to know today that if I'm for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Come on. That's why David would write and say, By my God, I'll run through a troop. By my God, I'll leap up over a wall. A thousand may come at my side. And ten thousand at my right hand, he said. But it's not going to come nigh unto me. Because the Lord is my habitation, right? He's my refuge. He's my shield. He's my buckler. That's who God is. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He holds my tears in a jar, and he knows my sorrows. He knows my ups, he knows my downs, he knows my thoughts, he knows my imagination. And before a word is formed on my tongue, David said, God, you know it all together. How can I escape, escape the presence of Almighty God? David said, if I build a ladder and I go all the way up into heaven, you'll be there. He said, but if I have to abide in hell, he said, you'll be there too. There's no place that I can escape the glorious presence of this omnipotent God who's made covenant covenant wow man covenant with the people of Israel man when you have a revelation that you're in covenant with God you will shake off the mully grubs you will shake off the uncertain times you will shake off the the the, the bad news you will shake off anything that's happened and you will say that with God all things are possible and my God is on my side right and if he's for me no, it don't matter who's against me. But you know, tragically, tragically, I'm going to tell the whole story briefly, briefly. Unfortunately, their story is marred by a continual struggle with apostasy and idolatry. The influence of the nations of the world. If you take the time to read, the temple is forsaken. Idolatry is practiced. Baal, Ashtoreth, Molech, Shemosh, sun goddess, moon goddess, star goddess, the gods of Canaan. The people, the people begin to worship a plurality of gods. We call it in the, a pantheon of gods, a multiplicity of gods rather than the one true God. Truth falls in the streets. The widow, the orphan, and the stranger is oppressed. Children are sacrificed at pagan rituals. And it reaches an apex when God, who is merciful, loving, and kind, and has given every opportunity for the people to repent, God in his sovereign Love for the nation and for the future of the nation brings judgment. Judgment comes once again from the land where Abraham was originally dwelling. Comes from Babylon in that same region of the Chaldeans. And Nebuchadnezzar, the empire of Babylon, is the, is the, is the, the world's strongest empire at this time, comes in 586. And they come to Israel and they ravage the land. They destroy the temple 
And they take captive back to Babylon, many men and women. And they're held there for 70 years. It's called the Babylonian exile. But then a change happens. How many know that God works in the kingdoms of men? The preacher said it last week as he quoted from Daniel. God works in the kingdoms of men. And so the kingdom of Babylon is overthrown by the Persian kingdom. And the Persian king Cyrus issues a decree that the people, of the, land, the people of Israel may return to their land, rebuild the city and the temple, and they can worship God in the land of their nativity. But yet they're still annexed to the Persian kingdom. History lessons tell us, we read this on our own, the Persians are replaced by Greece. Greece eventually fragments and Rome becomes the world's dominant power. And so right before we turn the page into the New Testament of the book of Matthew, did you know the children of Israel regained their sovereignty for over 100 years as a result of the Maccabean Revolt? During this time period, actually, a, 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 a female queen was one of the longest-seated monarchs during that particular time in the history of the land of Israel. But inner fighting, how many of you know we need unity in the people of God? Inner fighting led to... An, Rome having an opportunity to come and to bring the people of Israel under occupation again. And so while under the iron fist of Rome, the people begin to struggle under the weight. They begin to feel the oppression. And as they feel the oppression, they begin to cry out for a deliverer, for a deliverer, a messianic figure, the son of David, the prophecies of old. Out of Bethlehem would come he that would rule the people of Israel. Going all the way back to the Genesis when God had prophesied through Moses that, or as he wrote it, but it was actually through Jacob to the son, his son Judah. That out of Judah would come the scepter, the scepter over the people of God. So they're crying out for a messianic leader who will bring them and, and, and restore unto them the kingdom. It's during that time that we read these words, an angel of God is sent to Nazareth. We're a young girl there, never known a man, only espoused to a man named Joseph. An angel appears to her and says, Hail Mary, thou art highly favored among women because the Lord has looked upon these, heard the cry of his people. And he said that you're going to bear in your virginal womb the very offspring of God. That angel said these words. He said, he, you will bring forth a son and you will call him Jesus. To the Hebrew, it was Yeshua. He will be called great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God has promised to give him the throne of David his father. How many of you know at the age of 30, that, that, that child that was born, a movement began. Uh, his, uh, so so I'm, again, I told you I'd be on a journey. And you've got to follow it with me quickly because I'm about to bring it to an apex here in a moment. And so in the fullness of time, God has sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. And for 30 years, he had walked and lived amongst them. He looked like anybody else, any other Jewish boy. He learned the carpentry skills of his father, Joseph. He just looks like anybody else. But on a fateful day in which he goes to the waters of Jordan to be baptized by his cousin John, when he goes under the water, just looking like a common, casual Jew, then suddenly the heavens are pulled back once again, just like at Mount Sinai. That voice that had not been heard for 2,000 years echoes one more time for the people of God to hear. And this time that voice says, This is my my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And a movement begins that continues to this day. And Jesus of Nazareth goes about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Never a man spake like that man. 
That man controlled the, he controlled the natural elements of the world. He could walk on water. He could calm the sea. He could look into the darkest dungeon of any sepulcher and call the dead out by his voice because he said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Uh, he could heal the sick. Crippled limbs would straighten up. Blind eyes would pop open. And the Bible says that even deaf ears would come unstopped because of the miraculous power of God that was functioning in his life. And you know what? The people that gathered around him knew this is the one. This is the one. This is our time. This is our moment. We're going to take the kingdom back. It's time to sell, uh, you know, our shovel and it's time to buy a sword because we're going to take back the kingdom. But Jesus would often reprove them. They didn't understand his mission at times. And you know what? The one singular moment that stands out to us today that, that, that brought about their confusion but also led their to revelation. If y'all stay with me, I'll bring this to a close in just a moment with a flurry here in just a second. But it was when what we call the triumphal entry. Because at that moment, church family, listen, the people knew this was our moment because they placed Jesus on the foal and men begin to go in front of him. Women begin to go in front of him. Crowds come from all over. Passover is at hand. The city of Israel or of Jerusalem has swollen. And they know now this is our king. People begin to quote Zechariah. Your king coming to you meek and lowly sitting upon the foal. He's coming unto you. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Look, they know this is the moment. This is the hour as he crosses the Kidron Valley. I'm sure people are reaching in their cloak. They're making sure that they're armed. They're ready. This is our moment. We're going to run in into the temple we're going to take it away from the Sanhedrin we're going to go into the Antonio uh, complex where the where the where the Roman soldiers are hid and we're going to slaughter them and we're going to restore Israel and much to their amazement over the next five to seven days Jesus meek and lowly is handed over to his captors betrayed for 30 pieces of silver muted like a sheep goes to slaughter he's falsely accused He's spit upon. He's beaten. They pluck the very hair from his beard. His disciples scattered because the sheep, or excuse me, the shepherd was smitten. And then to their horror, the most cruel punishment that anyone could ever fathom for a religious insurrectionist, Jesus is handed over to the Romans who crucify him. And then they place in blasphemy a sign above his head king of the Jews and they watch in horror as he pillows his head in death and that crown of thorns hangs from his head but you know what last week church family I made another statement I need to clarify I said but we need to testify about Jesus because let me tell you today what the Romans thought was a finality and what <laughs> What is Jewish followers for three days they wept and cried because their movement was over. But I want you to know, church family, today, in days gone by, God had come down and sat on the mountain. But in this moment right here, Jesus Christ descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he came out on the third day, church family, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And he had beside him and in his hand the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And they put a crown of thorns on his head and they called him the King of the Jews. But when God raised him from the dead, God said, I'm going to call him the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's none like him today. He's the fairest among ten thousands. He's the bright and the morning star. He is Yeshua. He is the Christ. He's the living God today. Somebody, oh, I just feel Jesus. I just feel like we got to tell the world about this man, Christ Jesus.
Now, church family, Jesus then for 40 days was seen with infallible proofs among his disciples, and he brought them to a mountain called the Mount of Olives, and there to their amazement, they asked him one more time, is this the time we're going to get the kingdom back? Is this the time we're going to? He said, you don't need to know about anything like that. When the Father's ready, you're ready, but it's going to be 9 o'clock soon. You need to be ready because I'm going to do something in your life that's going to radically change your life. And 10 days later, the Spirit of God came upon them when they were worshiping in a house just like this. The glory of God came upon them, and they were filled with the Spirit of God, weren't they? Filled, and they were radically changed. Caleb radically changed by the power of the Spirit of God. And now they're preaching boldly, and they're preaching to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they're calling all the lost men and women of the house of Israel back to covenant fellowship with God. But this time, it wasn't through the blood of a bullock or a goat that they had access to God, but it was by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And what the law could not do because of the weakness of the flesh, Jesus Christ, through his own shed blood, created accessibility to God. They were always, in days gone by, there was always a repeating of that cyclic offering because there was always a continual need for repentance and for, uh, for, for reconciliation for sin. But this man offered one sacrifice for sin forever, and he sat down by the right hand of God. And so they're preaching, and people are hearing, but they preach to nobody but the Jews. So then they go to Samaria. Samaria is a place where there's interracial marriage. And so they, they're half Jew, they're half Gentile. And to their amazement, the Samaritans respond. And then they're like, okay, God is up to something bigger than what we thought. And I'll tell you what, and this is where we're going to make our transition, our final points here in a moment, is this right here. They, then in the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, the Bible tells us that Simon Peter goes into the home of a Gentile. Invited by there, he's a Roman centurion. And while there, listen to this, Randy, while there he's, he's preaching like I am, he can't even give a, get his sermon concluded, and the Spirit of God falls. And all of a sudden, these men and women that are in ethnicity, they're not Jews. They're not of the lineage of Abraham. They're filled with the Spirit of God. And these Jewish apostles are like, what has just taken place? They're amazed, and they come back together the next day, and they say, God has granted to Gentiles repentance of life. The reason why I brought you all went through all that to bring you here today. But from that day forward, there was a church. They called it the Ecclesia, the called out ones. It was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews knew they were in covenant with God. But the Gentiles never understood that thought, that principle. They didn't understand it fully. They didn't know what that meant. Until a man named Paul comes along. And Paul gains revelation about equality and unity. And we're closing with this. So in that book of Ephesians, we're going to go back to chapter 2. And we're going to close out. So he's been writing when we read in chapter number 3. Now I brought you on that journey to bring you here, right? Now remember that, hey, in the words of Dr. Brassel, that was just my introduction. <laughs> he said, I have the longest introductions and the shortest sermons. I'll try to borrow from that. I want you to see this now. Remember, who, as Paul, chapter 3, what did he pray? What did he pray? That when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So let's read that. Now, he said this. Remember this. So we're looking back. we got to catch this because I'm telling you, this will change your whole personal outlook. It will change the way that you live your life. It will change the, the, your confidence before God because right here. So, so Paul said this is a mystery that for Thousands of years, men and women didn't understand because it was hidden in Christ. And now let's read it. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and trespasses. How many know you said, now you're talking about me, preacher? Right? In times past, I walked according to the course of this world, 
Man, you're really describing my life now. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation. King James means the lifestyle. In times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath. Why were we by nature children of wrath? Because we were not Jews. We were Gentiles. But God, somebody ought to say amen right there. But God, who was rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened together with Christ. For by grace are you saved, right? And God hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. You know what? You may not think I am somebody, but in God's eyes, I'm somebody. Amen. He raised me up, right? Raised me up. And what? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's not anything you can do yourself, right? All you have, you have to do what, right? It is by faith. For grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is the gift of God. But it's not of your works, lest any man should boast. But then here, for we are what? His workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus. Unto what? Good works. God's ordained them for you, correct? That you should walk in them. How you know God has a right to put an expectation how you live, how you move, how you think, how you act, how you talk, how you react, how you handle your money, come on, how you attend service, how you go to, uh, to your workplace. God has a right to expect you to walk in good works. Now, there's only 11 verses left. I want you to stay with me, or 12 verses. Let's read this. Because I'm telling you, if you will have a revelation of the equality that is revealed in verses 11 through 22 of the book of Ephesians, it will radically transform your life. Remember that you, in times past, you were a Gentile. That's who you were. You were not of the lineage of Abraham. You were called uncircumcision by those that are circumcised which meant Jewish circumcision, which brought them into covenant with God. And so he said, you're called uncircumcised. Some said they called them dogs, called Gentile dogs. Verse 12, let's read it. At that time, you were without Christ. Man, I didn't have hope. I was an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. I was a stranger from the covenant of promise. I had no hope, and I was without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, he's your peace. He made one and he broke down the middle wall of partition between us. So stop right there. Middle wall of partition. Paul, uh, between us, Paul is writing as a Jew. And uh, that's in covenant with God. And he said, you were a Gentile, and there was a wall that separated us. But now that man Christ Jesus broke down that wall. He is our peace, and he's made both one. And he has broken down the middle wall. Go back to it, if you would. 14th verse, let me read it. And the middle wall of partition that was between us. 15th verse. And having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments came, contained in ordinances to make in himself of what? Remember, equality of one new man. One new man. What? So making peace. Wait, just, what, where's this going, Pastor? That he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. How many you know whether you're Jew or Gentile? The only way that you can be reconciled unto God is through the cross. Through the cross, through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Right? It's to the Jew a stumbling block, to the Greeks it's foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. 
You want to learn more about it, come out on Wednesday night. We're going to talk about the cross. He's reconciled unto God, both Jew and Gentile. He's slain the enmity thereof. And these last five verses, six verses, you got it. He preached peace unto you. Listen to this. Paul's on this one. He preached peace to you which were afar off. So what Paul is now saying, you Gentiles were afar off. You had no accessibility to God. And then he said, even to those who were near, the Jews. He said, he's preaching peace through Christ. And then he said, for through him, you and I have access by one spirit unto the Father. So you and I have access. Wait just a minute before we go to that last one. We have access to the Father. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're taught, you say, Lee Brown, you have access. I'm telling you today, you cannot get access to Joe Biden. I'm telling you that uh, three weeks ago, you couldn't get access to Donald Trump. But I want you to know today, through the man Christ Jesus, you have access to Elohim. Come on now, church family, to the God of gods. You have access by the Spirit unto the Father. Now look, let's make this personal and close, and we're going to bring the worship team up in just a moment. Now, therefore, this is how I live my life every day. Now, therefore, I am no more a stranger and a foreigner. But I'm a fellow citizen. Now, this will make you run right here, Kathy. I'm telling you, a fellow citizen of the saint, and I'm of the household of God. Now, listen, I want you to know today, everybody here, under the sound of my voice, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are no longer a stranger and a foreigner unto God. Listen, you've got to get that. There is such revelation. You are a fellow citizen with the saints. And what are you? I am of the household of God. Well, well, just a minute. Now, let's read on further. Just a moment. Let's close this out. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Verse number 11 or 21, in whom all the building is fitly framed together. There's where unity, equality, and unity it growth into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in whom you are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Let me summarize it in closing. What I've put this all together is to show you in a generation which men and women are crying out for equality and unity, we need a revelation of the Spirit of God that shows us that we have equality with God through Christ. Right? Not equality with God, that we have equality with each other. There's no middle wall separating us, and we have accessibility to God. And why am I saying that today? When I was preaching about ancient Israel, you were all fired up in here. You were all, oh my God, that's David, and that's Barak, and that's Ruth, and that's Naomi, but I'm just little me. No, I'll tell you who you are. You are a direct descendant of Abraham. You are of the lineage of David. Ruth is your great, 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 great grandmother today. You can storm the gates like Joshua. You can win battles like Gideon. You can call upon the name of the Lord because you are of the household of faith. The covenant promises of God belong to you. You can read Psalm 27, Shane, and pray and ask God for revelation. And he gives it to you because you're his child. At your darkest day, at your darkest day, there's always light. You have every reason to get up in the morning and say, I just want to thank God today. I have covenant fellowship with God. I'm the blessed of God. Listen, this is not, we have forgotten, for some reason, we have forgotten the power of the profession of the word of God in our lives. You hold fast to your profession of faith without wavering, right? He has, God is not a man that he should lie. If he said you're his offspring, you're his offspring. If he said call upon me and I will answer, he said I'll answer and he will. You may call the pastor and he don't always answer because of this glorious gift called Caller ID. But, but, from that, but I want you to know today, Jesus will always answer. 
That's funny right there. <laughs> he will always answer because why? Because you're in covenant with him. You're in covenant with God. Church family, I want you to know today that you can see by the Spirit of God, God can unlock to you. Shane, y'all join me on the platform. God can unlock to you the mysteries of Christ. Yes. Let, me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you this real quickly. You know, many long years ago, so I have a family, so and we were talking about families. I have six adult children now, and uh, now we have grandchildren. And I, I found a passage in Scripture, Psalm 128. Blessed is the man. It's that passage of Scripture. And it spoke about my family. I say, wait a minute, was David writing that to you? Yes, he was writing that to me. Because he said this, he said, My wife shall be a fruitful vine by the side of my house. And I can't tell you the many hundreds of times that I've prayed that. And I said, God, let Sherry be a fruitful vine by the side of my house. And then I prayed. I said, God, let my children, because David continued. He said, he said, and your children shall be as olive plants round about thy table. And you said, and I prayed that with not in hope. And I didn't pray it in uncertainty. I prayed it in faith. I prayed it in faith. You know why? Because I'm a part of the household of God. And if it was written for David, by David, and for his family, it was written for me. And now you may just want to hide back and say, no, no, but no, well then all these blessings will go right past you. They'll go right past you unless you secure them by faith. The passage of the book of Ephesians, Paul said, this is a mystery that the Gentiles now have direct access. I know I preached a long time today, but this is what I'm called to do. Not preach a long time, sometimes it's short. But today what I mean is we've had so much bombardment in our culture and with the, with the election and everything. I said, God, I don't know how to respond to that every time. But the one thing I know to do is to stand up here with a smile on my face and look at men and women and remind them of who they are in Christ Jesus. And to tell them that you are the beloved of God and you are in covenant with God. And you know what? You can pray and you can see heaven opened on your behalf. So when the writer James said Elijah was a man subject to like passions like you are, he prayed and God closed heaven. And then he prayed again and God opened heaven. So that when you identify with that, you say, God, Elijah was of the lineage of Abraham, but then so am I. I'm a covenant heir to the covenant. I'm the same. It's no distinction. The wall of separation has been broken. God doesn't look down upon your petition and say, well, you're female. I'm not going to answer it. It's great. Or you're male. Or no, you haven't been saved that long. Or your uh, ethnicity is this, and I'm not going to answer it. God says, it's all my children, and I brought you into covenant promises, and you're now children of Abraham, and the covenant promises of Abraham are yours, and if you want them, stand up and receive them. Call upon my name, and I'll be who you call me to be, who, I, who you need me to be. So stand up in this room today and worship.